you're about to get lucky with the Bare Naked Money podcast, the show that gives you the naked truth about personal finance with your hosts, Josh Shellick and Colin White, portfolio managers with WLWP Wealth Planners, IA Private Wealth. Okay, I think we're live. Hello, everyone. I'm Dan LeBlanc, founding partner and portfolio manager with WLWP. We're grateful so many of you could join us today for our regular market update webinar. And as usual, we'll be delivering a dose of good news, a from the hip discussion of the current state of the markets, which is obviously not all good news. And we've never been prone to sugarcoating anything, so we're not going to start today. And then we'll get into some interesting discussions around behavioral science. We know times like these can be stressful. The discomfort is real. And we understand it, but we have built mitigation into your portfolios because economic climates like we are experiencing now have always happened. Do we enjoy it? No. We'd much rather be able to always celebrate bull markets, but we understand the risk and we do everything we can to manage them while striving to achieve your financial goals so that you can continue to feel confident and secure. We hope today to remind you of the people, the processes, and the measures we have in place to make sure we are positioned as well as possible to weather any storm. And some of you may have heard me use this analogy before. So think about being on the flight. You're cruising at 35,000 feet. Everything is smooth and comfortable. And then the pilot comes on and says, you're about to enter some turbulent airspace. Remain in your seat, fasten your seatbelt, it's going to get bumpy but you have confidence in the pilot's ability to get you through the turbulence and land you safely at your destination. We're your financial pilot. It's been a little bumpy, but let's remain in our seats and buckled up. We're gonna get through this turbulence. And on that note, I'll introduce Josh Shellick and Colin White, my partners and fellow portfolio managers at WLWP. They'll take you through today's presentation. So with that, over to you, Josh. All right. Thanks, Dan. So as usual, we're going to kick it off with a bit of good news. Good news is still prevalent out there, despite what the mainstream media will have you believe. We'll cover a little bit about what's new, which is a lot these days. We'll give you a little bit of an outlook, uh, not so much an outlook, but a look back, let's call it, on the markets. We're going to talk a little bit about human nature, revisit what the right advice is, and of course, leave some time for questions. Now, because I've been given a lot of the messier parts of the presentation to deliver, I'm going to deliver some good news, which has become a bit of a hallmark for us. So this is very, very close to my heart because it's very much part of my generation, is that the that hole in the ozone that my generation created in the 80s with a lot of hairspray is slowly healing, so much so that it's predicted that by the year 2070, the ozone will have completely healed and we will not be all irradiated off the face of the earth. So listen, this is this is good news on a whole bunch of fronts, but this is an example of the globe coming together and fixing a very real problem, cooperating, and us seeing a positive outcome because of that. So congratulations on everybody for using yes, less hairspray and less refrigerant and having the ozone heal. So now that we have gone through good news, we are going to get into it, as we say. Yeah, so we're going to start with a poll here to break the ice a little bit and should be launching that shortly on your screens here. So we want to know how you're really feeling about things. 
we know stress levels might be a little bit high right now, but don't sugarcoat it with us because we won't sugarcoat it with you. Got the results rolling in here. Ooh, look at this. Look at this. Doesn't seem like too many people are very stressed, but there's a couple that are worried about what's coming next, rightfully so. Well, this Most is people are a I think we should shut this down, Josh. We have all the wrong people on this presentation. <laughs> we need some more pessimists out there. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's what I was prepared for. Well, why don't you tell people what's new, Collins? Well, listen, uh, again, we don't sugarcoat things, and that's kind of what we hold ourselves up to be. We're going to try to educate. So, to be honest, since last time we talked, uh, there's very little good news to be had with regards to what's gone on in the last little while. But I think it's important that you, we understand and accept that. And there's an expression that Catherine very vehemently disagrees with, but I think it rings a bell with a lot of us. Truth is like poetry. Nobody likes poetry. So this is one of those times nobody's going to like the truth, but we think it's important to walk around in it a bit just to understand exactly what that is. So inflation is a thing, uh, and it is wearing out its welcome, as is talked about here. Now, I attended a luncheon presentation that Tiff Macklin, the governor of the Bank of Canada, gave a few weeks back, and he gave his insights. So the remarkable thing was his tone. He was very, very adamant that they were going to defeat inflation. They'll get it back to that 2% target. And he also said that they got it completely wrong. Initially, when inflation began, it was seen as something that was transitory or something that was going to end as the pandemic uh, restrictions came off. But in December of last year, the bank kind of stopped using transitory or transition inflation as part of their descriptor. And this year, they've moved on from that to, to accept that, yeah, inflation is indeed a thing. So... Again, like I said, it was a little remarkable with how forceful he was. And this is actually leaked into the political side, which is the part that you really don't want to have happen. Because central bank policy should be a fiscal policy, you know, or it should be a bank policy rather than government fiscal policy. Those should be two different things. So, But the Bank Canada is really, really set on getting this under control. Therefore, they're, they're going to keep going down the path that they're going down. And when you sit and take a look at all the different measures that they use and everything they look at, it was actually quite, it was a good presentation. Uh, they look at things from many, many different angles. Um, and even with all that information, it's important to point out, and they say themselves that they got it completely wrong and have adjusted course more recently. So if they get it wrong, it's okay if other people get things wrong from time to time too. That's just going to happen. So we're going to go ahead and take a look at exactly how down, down, down it has gone, because this is what everybody's feeling right now. And it's truly a remarkable time. And I'm going to talk about it a little bit now. And Josh has got some other indicators before just to validate what everybody is seeing and feeling out there right now. Here are some various asset classes and or geographies uh, to consider, because typically when things are bad, there is somewhere behind and there's always somebody with a theory. So as you can see, Canadian stocks, U.S. stocks, international stocks, gold, real estate, bonds, long-term bonds, Bitcoin, personal favorite. And you can tune in to Bare Naked Money and listen to the podcast. Joshua, I've made fun of Bitcoin for quite some time now. Copper, Canadian dividend stocks, oil, Canadian banks, everything is down significantly. So this is one of those times that you can take a look back. We'll talk about this later. I'm really, really confident that gold is going to protect me in times of inflation. Are you sure? Uh, it really hasn't worked out that way. 
for those who are fans of Bitcoin, saying, well, Bitcoin is the new gold, that's going to protect me. Not really. Real estate's always going to do well. Not really. Now, again, that doesn't mean any of these things by definition, except Bitcoin, are necessarily bad investments. But to think that they have some irrational superpower to protect from losses at all times, that's not warranted. And that's what's truly uniquely bad about these, this situation. A diversification normally affords you some form of protection, but that really hasn't happened this time through. And furthermore, for those who are sitting on cash, the inflation that we've seen has dramatically eroded the value of that cash. So even in cash, while you can say I didn't lose any money, it has lost purchasing power. And if you leave it sitting in cash, it's likely to continue to lose purchasing power over time. So good choice, bad choice. Sell low and buy high is not a strategy. We've done the math, that's a bad thing. So again, when things like this happen, making a knee-jerk reaction to try to pull away from the pain, which is part of our DNA, is, is not necessarily a good thing. The other, the other thing is that timing cash moves is, is impossible to do it accurately and effectively. So we saw one day where there was a negative consumer price index number came out. Instead of 8.1, it came out at 8.2% or something, seemingly fairly small. Market opened up immediately, sold off 2 or 3%. But then partway through the day, it began to rally and ended up 2 or 3%. The total move top to bottom that one day was 5.6%, one of the largest top to bottom moves seen in the market. And that all happened on the same piece of news. So even if you were accurate in saying, I think inflation is going to be better or worse than what it is, even if you got that part right, you would have also had to figure out where this tug of war was going to end within the market. So even if you get the direction of a particular indicator right, it's not the only indicator. It doesn't happen in the volume. And assuming what's going to, what the market reaction is going to be is a big leap because markets are forward-looking. And so they're going to take that information and they're going to extrapolate it. The red aggregate, everybody's going to extrapolate it. So it's very, very difficult, impossible to do it consistently and effectively over long term. Even if you get it right 19 times, get it wrong once, you're going to wipe out all of the gains that you would have made by having gotten it right that many times in a row. So again, it's it's very, very important to not make knee-jerk reactions to what's going on right now. So what can you do? What are the ways that you manage through these times? Shasha alluded to the fact that we expect these kinds of things to happen. You know, the, we expect markets to fluctuate. We expect to have downturns. How do you manage that? Well, the first one isn't hasn't really helped us as much this time as it normally would, but diversification remains important because you know, most of the time that does provide a protection against things going sideways. So that remains key. And the example I sometimes use with people is to point out that when you get really, really confident, again, it's not what you don't know is going to hurt you, it's what you think you know for sure, it just isn't so. So if I came to you back in January of 2020 and said, hey, interest rates are really low, commercial real estate's really hot, I need your 6.4% yield, let's plow 40% of your portfolio into commercial real estate in January of 2020, all of my math and assumptions may have been right but I didn't predict the pandemic. So the pandemic hit and completely blows up a few sectors, then you realize you've made your portfolio unnecessarily fragile. So diversification remains key going forward, even though it hasn't helped a whole lot this time around. The other thing, we'll, again, we'll, we'll actually end with a, a bit of a comment on this as well. 
is making sure you keep it cash rich. Keep enough money on hand that you can pay your bills for the next little. You always want to make sure that you have, depending on your situation, three to six months living expenses, or if you're living completely off of your assets, maybe a year or two worth of payments set aside so that it's not exposed to the market. Those are reasonable and smart things you can do to try to mitigate what's going on, but not going to completely protect from what's going on, for sure. So state of the markets, as Colin said, it's been a bit of a unique year. Not totally unprecedented in, in some senses, but unique for sure. And again, as Colin said, we we don't want or hope things will go this way during the year, but we do plan for them sometimes, and we do expect them to happen sometimes. We just don't know in, in advance when that is going to be, when those times are going to be. To add some color to the inflation numbers that we've been seeing recently, Inflation, definitely a problem. You heard Colin talk about Tiff Macklem and the Bank of Canada saying that they definitely want to get back to that 2% target inflation. Now, that 2% target has been set for a long time now, multiple decades. What this graph here is showing you is if you look at that dashed line over the last 12 years, that's the path that 2% inflation would take. That light blue line that you see there, curving up towards the end, that's the path that inflation actually has taken here in Canada over that same period of time. So if you went to sleep 12 years ago, woke up today, you'd say, hey, guess what? We're bang on that 2% inflation number over the last 12 years. Some years has been lower. Right now, yes, it's, it's higher for sure. Now, that doesn't mean that 8% inflation right now is a good thing. doesn't mean that it's not creating some stresses or some issues out there. We'd ideally like it to have 2% inflation every year all the time, but that's just, it hasn't been the reality. But again, taking a bit of a zoom out type of view, longer term view, we've kind of come right around that 2% uh, 2 mark. And importantly, if, if you kind of reflect back on what this means for you and your financial situation, if we did a financial plan for you 12 years ago and we forecasted 2% inflation, we'd be pretty much bang on right now. Some years you would have been actually looking better off than that. And so kind of to take the to, to extrapolate out what we're seeing today, the 8% inflation and say, well, it's, it's going to derail my financial plan, which is 20 years long or 30 years long, or to take 8% inflation and say, well, this is going to last for the next 10 years, it's going to be catastrophic. That's probably not the case. It's probably not the case. If you think inflation is going to be 5% per year for the next 20 years, then yeah, maybe we need to revisit the financial plan. But I think that's highly unlikely. We think that's highly unlikely. And in most cases, this, this last year, it's probably not going to derail anything for you financially. Now, as startling as the inflation numbers have been, some of the returns from bonds have been equally as startling, maybe even more so. The top graph that we have here, the orange line, shows the, the growth of bonds over the last 32 or so years, since 1990. And so you can see it's been a fairly steady uptrend with a few pullbacks along the way, except it, it's hooking down towards the end of that graph. So recently, the, the pullback in bonds has definitely been uh, noticeable, to say the least. More interesting for me than that top graph is that bottom graph, which shows you the declines in the values of bonds over this, this same 32 or so year period of time. And the last year and a half has been far and away the biggest period of declines over this 30-year period. And if we extended this back further, we would still see the same, same, uh, same trend. 
this year has been by far the biggest and most uh, the, the the biggest pullback that we've ever seen in bonds. Really, just just to put it flat out. So that's tough, and that's especially tough because for more conservative portfolios, they typically have more exposure to bonds, which tend to be more stable. And this has been one year where that really just hasn't been the case. Okay, so bonds are bad, but we keep saying it's been a really challenging year. And as Colin alluded to, there's there's not a whole lot of places to hide. Now, I know this 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 graph's maybe a little bit small for everybody to, to kind of interpret, but what each of these dots on this graph shows you is one calendar year. And we're plotting the returns of bonds and the returns of stocks for that calendar year. So as you go further to the right, that means that calendar year has experienced better returns in bonds. And as you go further up, that means that year has experienced better calendar year returns for stocks. If you go left, that's bad. If you go down, that's bad. If you go left and down, that's double bad. And right now, 2022, we're in that red circle there to the bottom left of the graph. So Again, it has been a little bit unprecedented this year. It's been, when you look at stocks and bonds together, been very, very challenging. And again, we pair these portfolios or these asset classes together in a portfolio because almost always, if you look at this graph, going back 50 years or so, almost always, either stocks or bonds is doing well. Both of them are struggling this year, which is very unusual. So what about housing? Everybody seems to follow the trends in real estate across the country. And certainly over the last 20 years or so, people have really relied on real estate to grow their wealth. Not the case over the last 12 months. And since a peak earlier this year, real estate's down double digits in percentage terms. Now, this is houses that have actually sold. Doesn't do anything for people that put their house on the market, realize they're not going to get anywhere close to what they wanted and pull it off the market. Should be a fairly reasonable gauge, but housing as you go from region to region can be very, very different. But I guess bottom line here is something that has been a bit of a, a boost to wealth over the last 20 years is right now going the other way. Now, I, I realized going through this yesterday that this is an extremely negative, uh, the last few slides. It doesn't feel good right now, but there is sort of a positive view on this and that when things go down in price, you're buying them at a discount, you're buying them at a lower price and your return expectations should be better going forward. So that is one takeaway that that we can sort of rely on here because that is certainly true for bonds, probably true for stocks and maybe even true for real estate as well if you look far enough up. Now that said, we're going to launch our second poll here. What is the biggest destroyer of wealth? And again, I'm going to launch the poll here. Now, Colin, I can't really speak to uh, to the second one there, but teenagers, how about that? How how does that do for you? Well, see, we, we all suffer from recency bias when it comes to teenagers. So the more recently you've had a teenager in the house, more apt you are to think that it is absolutely the worst thing ever. Uh, so my teenagers are now in their 20s. Just fade it for me a little bit. So. But ooh, 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 I think we're getting the answer we expected this time, Josh. Yeah, yeah. And uh, recency bias, uh, right on hand here, Colin. Economic downturns is what most people are thinking. Well, it's a trick question. It was a trick poll. Ha ha, we got you. The biggest destroyer of wealth is you. And when I say you, I mean us. By us, I mean people. So people's behavior is actually one of the largest destroyers of wealth. 
it's not necessarily what's happening in the world, it's how we react to it and how, yeah, how we react to it. That's basically the whole story. And we can trace that back. It actually has archaeological roots. And for those who follow me closely or have listened to me over the years, this is a story I often relate when time things are like this. And congratulations if you've been with me long enough to recognize what story comes next and we've been through enough downturns i've told you this story we have a close relationship that i truly value the it came from a presentation i attended one time where there was an anthropologist on stage and he was talking about how we developed as a species and the way he laid it out was three groups of people sitting around a campfire and the saber two tiger shows up one group gets up they run some of them get away so they get to stay in the gene pool. A bunch of them stand up and they fight. Well, some of those win and they get to stay in the gene pool. The group that just sat there to see what was about to happen, well, they all got eaten. So they got removed from the gene pool. So as we sit here today as a fully functioning member of a very advanced society, the only two options we have are the fight or flight. And honestly, in modern times, that doesn't always serve us well. In fact, if you go forward, and take the take a look at you know, some high performing athletes or some people who perform at very high levels in academia, chess, whatever you want to talk about. Being dispassionate is something that is very very important. Yeah. For example, professional golf. There is the, the doping in professional golf. It, it largely uh, revolves around things like Adderall or beta beta blockers, things that completely suppress the body's ability to produce adrenaline. So what they want to do is completely remove that fight or flight physical response to allow somebody to concentrate on the task at hand. And it is so compelling at the absolute highest levels that it is a form of cheating. So if you want to take that into your own life, you know, the more you can reduce your fight or flight when it comes to executing on very technical tasks, the better you should, better you could perform. So you know, lack of adrenaline is actually a superpower, if you will. Maybe I've gone too far with that. Trust superpower is that too far? That would be an interesting, uh, interesting answer to that question. What what superpower would you most like to have? Lack of adrenaline. There you go. See, there, 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 actually, there you go, Catherine. Write that one down. We're going to use that with the team. So I want everybody to meet Steve. Now, be pay very, very close attention here because we're going to ask you a question about Steve in a second. Now, Steve is, I'm going to have to read this because this is very particular. This is very, very important. I get this right. So excuse me while I look down. He's very shy and withdrawn, invariably helpful, but with little interest in people or in the world of reality. A meek and tidy soul. He has a need for order and structure and a passion for detail. So did you, everybody internalize that? Let's go to a poll. Do you think Steve is either a librarian or a farmer? Now I think this sense. is the most this is the most interesting poll, I think, of the day here. <laughs> well, they may be on us. They may think that we're setting a trap for them. <laughs> a little reverse psychology, you think? Yeah, this is not a good control group. Yeah. Smarter than the average group, right? That's what you're saying? Well, we've already tricked them once, so I think they're on edge. <laughs> So we were coming in with around 70% of the votes thinking that Steve is a farmer and about 30% of the votes thinking that Steve is a librarian. So it's a very interesting question and the answers are even more interesting for us. And studies have been done about this a long time. The answer is that it's far more likely that Steve is a farmer. 
And the answer has nothing to do about Steve, but just that the fact that there are far more farmers in our North American society than there are librarians by some measures saying a factor of 10. So if you're just looking at purely the detail that we have from Steve, Steve is a person, he's more likely to be a farmer. Everything else is just kind of noise. And this question is so interesting because we provide extra info, we provide extra context for you, thinking that it's helping you to, to provide an answer, but really it's just kind of tricking your, your mind into uh, providing something that you associate with maybe being a librarian. And we call this information bias. So the, the idea that more information helps us make a better decision, which in a lot of cases is just not true. And actually, more information can actually be detrimental sometimes because more information makes us feel more confident about our decision, about our answer, which, again, may not be true. And this has been studied in professional gamblers as well, horse bettors. So you give these horse bettors more information, more information, more information, their confidence about their, their bets goes way up, but the results don't get any better. So you, this overconfidence, this, this, this trend towards overconfidence can be very damaging because as soon as you get too confident in one outcome ha happening, when you're predicting the future, that leaves you susceptible to, to making very poor decisions. And it's, it's ripe in our industry and in our, our society right now because you read something on the Globe and Mail, then you turn on the TV, you see the same thing on CTV, then you hear from your friends, and then you see it on TikTok, and all of a sudden you get really confident that you know what's going to happen next. And with information bias uh, at hand, it, it may not be so, uh, so absolute. Well, yeah, the other thing is that recency bias plays in, and this is the, the likelihood you're going to pay more attention to what you what most recently happened. So we've had both things happen within our within our client base. Where someone calls up and says, "Oh my God, you guys made us more money this year than our last advisor did over the last five years. That's absolutely amazing. You guys are the best." And then a year later, the account's down. It's like if we keep losing money like this, I'm I'm going to run out of money in five years. It's like, it's just stop. No, it's neither one of those is 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 useful for making decisions but it's because it's more very recent it's very raw the emotions are highest and you, you want to hang on to it and listen i'm saying some some really really earnest people look at their statement and go look i'm down 10 percent in the last year that means i'm going to run out of money because it keeps going down like this it's like well in order for you to lose all of your money every company you know is going to go bankrupt on the same day and if that happens i think we have bigger trouble than your account's going to zero because we're probably back in caves hitting each other with sticks and I don't think that's going to happen. But again, it, it's it's difficult to break out outside of that because we we put a disproportionate amount of weight on what's happened most recently. And we live in a time, back to Josh's point on the last slide, where you can get as much information as you want. It's like, because I run into people, it's like, oh, no, I read about gold, like five or six hours a day. I read everything there is to know about gold. Like, yeah, and it's, it's not going to help you predict what happens next. Um, but again, it's a confidence because they've spent so much time at it that obviously I read everything that's happened recently. I understand all of it. Therefore, I know what's going to happen next. And it's not necessarily the getting the prediction wrong as much as how much confidence you have in it. Because again, that, that's what truly causes damage to somebody's personal financial situation. Well, so we're back to the polls. And Josh, you're going to run this, right? I got it. Yep. All right. 
So, do you believe in intuition? Yes, I always know when it's going to rain. Not me, but my spouse is right about a lot of things after they have happened. No, flying by the seat of my pants is surprised all the time. Let's see where we lie on intuition. I certainly would vote for number two, but that's just my own current situation. <laughs> but we won't tell Renee about that, will we? Oh, uh, look, I'm an open book. That's why your marriage has lasted so long, Colin. That's right. Transparency, transparency, professionally, transparency, personally. Seems like we're, we're fairly evenly split on this one. Uh, people don't seem to know when it's going to rain. I know that it's raining here right now, but uh, other than that, people are, are flying by the sea of their pants a lot. And a lot of people have uh, some spouses that knew exactly what was going to happen. Well, there you go. So why don't you discuss hindsight bias, Josh? So I, I think what we want to emphasize here is hindsight is always twenty twenty. We always know exactly what was going to happen when we're looking back into the past. Now, when we're in the present or future, it's, it's easy to look back and say what was going to happen. But if we took ourselves and transplanted ourselves back to that, that past self, we may not have been so sure at the time exactly what was going to happen. So you might sit here today and you think, well... I knew when Putin invaded Ukraine that the market was going to go down, or I knew that inflation was going to stick around, or I knew that interest rates were going to go up, 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 and up, and not uh, pause for uh, any period of time this year. There's always going to be those people out there that say that the sky is falling, and once upon a time, yes, they're going to be right. That doesn't give them any more predictive ability for what's going to happen next. Uh, going back to that, that quote at uh, earlier in the webinar that Colin mentioned, it's not what uh, I'm going to read it here. It's not what you don't know that will hurt you. It's what you think you know for sure. It just isn't so. If you've properly diversified your portfolio, you're going to be surprised sometimes, but your portfolio is going to be able to deal with a variety of different surprises because that's what it's built for. If you think you know something for sure, and position your portfolio for that one specific thing, then an event that surprises you can be catastrophic because you've positioned for one thing and a complete opposite thing has happened. So there are lots of examples that people seem to forget sometimes that we thought that we knew something for sure and it turned out to be false. Did you think you that when Trump won the election, stocks were going to go down for sure? Did you think that cannabis stocks were a can't-miss investment? Did you think that Nortel was a surefire, win-at-all-cost stock? Did you think that BlackBerry was a, a company of the future? All of these things, I feel like we once upon a time had a very strong belief in, and none of them turned out to be true. And if you positioned your entire portfolio for that one thing, again, it would have been very catastrophic for you. So as we sit here today and look back on this year, you might say, well, I knew that was going to happen. And number one, I would say, well, I'm not sure that you were so sure about that. And number two, I would say, even if you were sure about that, it doesn't make you any more sure or any better able to predict what's going to happen in the future. So coming back to this idea of being dispassionate and kind of what's the purposes of us going through some of these, these biases or, or tricks that our mind can play on us? And well, we feel that it's our responsibility to help encourage the right behavior amongst investors. And that's really, we're, we're trying to make people aware of these types of things 
So maybe they can moderate that behavior a little bit. We've been doing this for a long time. We've learned how to avoid some or all of these biases in some way, shape, or form. And it's not easy to do because, again, it's hardwired into us. We've been, we've been hardwired through evolution to respond to these things in a certain way. There are reasons why we react the way that we do to some of these questions that we get or some of the, this, this information that is fed to us. And the way that we protect it is, well, we work as a group. We're aware of these things. We research these things. And most importantly, I think, is we build a, a process, a discipline process, something that is, is designed to be immune to these types of, of feedback that can lead to poor decision-making. So this leads us to our, our advice, and our advice remains unchanged. And look, this is what differentiates us from many others, if not all other participants in the market. Robert Thaler, the father of behavioral economics, so on a podcast one time says it's way more profitable to take advantage of people's weaknesses and try to fix them. A lot of truth in that. We could have made a lot of money selling Bitcoin last year. We could have made a lot of money selling marijuana stocks a couple of years back. And instead, we've stuck to our guns and gone up, tried to educate people as to where these risks are and, and try to mitigate these kind of things. Like as Josh says, we're, well, he didn't really say it, but I'll say it. We are human. As much as I'm not comfortable being human, we are human. And so we do have some of these tendencies ourselves, but we also are geeky and read a lot. And we recognize some of our weaknesses with regards to making financial decisions. And we have put safeguards in place to try to prevent really big mistakes from happening. Because honestly, the key to your financial success is not getting the one right thing. It's not blowing up. So it's not, hey, look, I should have bought Facebook when it first went public because then that would have set me up for life. I should have bought Google when it first came. No, that's not the secret. That, that's not how you do it. It's by never blowing up completely. And that's how our advice is going to be. Now, that's not exciting. It doesn't come with a sound effect. Jim Cramer's not going to say that on his big fancy show, but it's honest. It's transparent. And it's what we think you deserve. And it's something that we think we can all rely on to give you a better result. So again, we're going to say the same old, same old. Oh, I didn't, mean to go, I didn't mean to go past it that fast, Dan. I know you're watching. That was Josh who clicked it, not me. Keep your short-term money short-term. Keep your long-term money long-term. And all the rest of it is details that you can ask us about, and we can work on that for your own individual plan. And listen, I'm not sure this is where I'm supposed to punch the, uh, the, the, the podcast, but if you like the kind of content you're getting here, uh, Bare Naked Money, available where you get podcasts. Josh and I put out. Roughly an episode a week or an episode every two weeks, commenting on whatever's current, or we've had some great guests on there recently talking about some of the topics that we've discussed here today. So I believe we're going to open that up to questions, and we're on a brand new technological platform that Josh is way smarter than me on, and he's going to lead from here, I think. Yeah, I think uh, for everybody that wants to post a question while we're here, I think there should be a little bubble somewhere above my head here. Uh, if your screen looks similar to mine, where <laughs> you can post a question there. Um, now, we have uh, one coming in there, which is awesome. Um, we do have a few questions. So as the, the questions trickle in there, um, we have some pre-submitted questions. So Colin, I'm going to start by asking you this one that was submitted ahead of time. And this question, it, it, it's so logical. But I think you'll have an interesting answer to it. You kind of touched on it before. Would we not be better 
to be in short-term interest-bearing investments than have continuous losses every month? Well, I refuse to accept the premise of the question. Again, this is the whole recently we lost money, therefore we will always lose money. That's just not, I'm not confident of that. And the last couple of days actually have been a really good example of that. But it's, it's very, very common to think that way. I don't want to lose any more money, therefore I'm going to take my hand off the stove. This is hurting me too much and I'm going to stick it in. The, the complete thought is I'm going to stick it in something that's guaranteed until the market goes back up, then I'm going to go back in. So again, sell low, buy high. We've done the math. It's not a good investment plan. Yeah, I guess just to add to that, that's, I would ask the question, how do you know when you should be selling and how do you know when you should be buying? Because yes, things are bad today, but how do you know that the market's going to go down or the market's going to go up from here? You don't. Because as Colin said earlier, the market's forward looking. So a lot of people come to me now and say, well, there's going to be a recession next year. Okay. So what, what, what does that tell you about where the stock market is going? Because the stock, if, if everybody thinks that there's a recession next year, then guess what? The market is already priced for that. So what's going to happen next? It, really, the question is, well, is, is it going to be better or worse from there? And if you think it's going to be better, then now should be the time to buy, even though there's a recession coming or whatever there's going to be. So it, there's, there's, there's a second level of thinking there and maybe even a third level of thinking. And it's just too hard to know when that switch is going to flip and things are going to go from, from bad to good again. We've seen it up over the last, I don't know, markets are up, what, Colin, 7 or 8% over the last 10 days? Maybe we saw the oh. bottom. The, the news well, hasn't gotten any better. In, in many cases, the, the news is worse. So how do you decide that 10 days ago was the time to buy to capture that? I don't know. Yeah, and, and this goes back to, again, taking a look at your financial situation. Are you properly set up for your own financial situation? And if that's the case, then you're good. But if you're not, if this is somehow exposed a, a gap or a weakness in your plan, okay, there's a bigger conversation. We have to have a bigger conversation about that. Uh, but, you know, again, if you're... If you're thinking that selling that as a market exposed investment and buying a four or five percent GIC is a way to grow wealth, well, I've got a problem with that conclusion. P picking up a GIC for a specific need at some point, okay, that can, can make a case from a cash flow perspective. But Josh, I mean, you take a look at the yields that we're seeing now on some of the current fixed income instruments that we're using in the portfolio. We've already made some of those moves. Like we've already added some fixed income vehicles that are paying those higher interest rates. Uh, from this point forward. They haven't looked good up till now because everything's fallen to this point. But we've reallocated some situations to take advantage of these increased interest rates that will pay off going forward. Yeah. on much, Just on that point, on much the same set of investments on the fixed income side that we had at the start of the year, we were getting 2% at the start of the year. We're getting 5% today. Yeah. So you're going to sell today now that you're getting 5%? Maybe not. Yeah. Uh, so second question here, Colin, um, easy or hard one for you. I'm not sure. How long is Santa's beard going to get this year? <laughs> well, I did start growing it earlier this year, so I'm expecting it to be better than last year's. But again, I haven't bedded everybody here for age, so I'm not going to confirm or deny the rumor that I may or may not actually be Santa Claus. Great. All right. Uh, moving along here. Notice that we've sold investments over the past couple of days. What is being bought? Well, I, I, I'll take that one. 
Um, so, <laughs> uh, recently what we've done is we've launched something called the Vericam Global Equity Fund, and you should have received a communication about this towards the end of September. Uh, and that communication at that time was, hey, uh, we're introducing this Vericam Global Equity Fund. We're super excited about it. You should see it in your portfolio sometime over, over the near term. And so as we progress clients to this, this new investment, uh, this new fund, uh, you'll be seeing that reflected in your portfolio at, at different points in time depending on when we get to your portfolio specifically. The investments in your portfolio have really not fundamentally changed. What we've done is we've been able to, to pool them and basket them into sort of one single entity called the Vericam Global Equity Fund. So why do we do this? Well, uh, one thing, that th there's a few reasons. One, it's a far more efficient way for you to get exposure to all the things that we think you should have exposure to, to get that proper diversification, to easily implement it across your portfolio um, in a, a simple and easy to consume way. Uh, that also means um, from a simplicity perspective, simplicity on tax, simplicity on reporting, uh, and much more consistency from client to client for us when we're trying to deliver a portfolio for you. On top of that, by doing this, we've been able to reduce some costs on the investment products that we use, which is direct savings for you and your pocket. Anything that I missed there, Colin, in terms of benefits? Well, yeah, just to, the only other point I'd emphasize is we have not added any kind of a fee or profit margin to this product. So it's being uh, launched at cost. So there is a small cost to set the, 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 the pool itself up, but we've calculated that will more than offset that from savings on the individual holdings that we're putting in the, in the pool. And therefore any future savings on those uh, investments will go directly to the clients. We do not have, we never have had, and we will continue to never have any kind of kickback paid to us from any of the funds that we use or any of the products we use. If we can get something at a, a better, uh, better cost, then that advantage will go directly into the pool. Great. So one for here, I'm going to try to read between the lines to what the exact question is. Uh, if you're changing to a RIF within a couple of years, is your status still the same? So I, I'm going to guess, Colin, that the individual is asking, does your advice change if you're a couple of years away from, from changing to a RIF, from converting your RSP to a RIF? Well, yeah. So it's funny. It's, just, it's it's very common. So people, when they when they retire, you know, I need all my money when I retire. No, your money has to last you a period of time. So when your money goes into a RIF, you're only a year older. So it's not as if all of your money is going to be needed in the next twelve months. You still have the life expectancy you had the previous year. So your money still has to last you a period of time, and that all goes into the whole conversation about what's my burn rate. How much of my account am I going to be, need to be spending every year to maintain my lifestyle? What are the sources of income I have? What plans do I have for spending my money? What's my estate plan? All of these things factor in. So it's not just that you've gotten to the age you have to risk your account. That would cause a change to what we would recommend for a risk profile of the kinds of investments. It's all of those things. So it's not just I'm six months older now, so we have to completely change everything we're doing. That doesn't work that way. It's, it, it's more of a gradual thing it will trigger that, hey, now I am going to start spending some of this money because the minimum RIF payment is coming out and I actually want it in cash because I'm going to use it for to take hot air flying balloon lessons. Maybe that's what you want to do at 70. Perfect. 
Fantastic. Let's take that into account. But it's not because you're ripping your money. It's because you now want to start spending a piece of it. That would cause us to alter the portfolio. So again, going from RSP to a RIF doesn't automatically mean that we have to make any significant changes to the portfolio. If you have questions about your specific situation and whether it means anything different for you, just reach out to us and we'll we'll set up a, a meeting to, to have a longer chat about it. Uh, just going back to the, the previous question there about the Barrican Global Equity Fund, Catherine has uh, posted in the chat. If you look at the chat, there's a link there where you can go and read more information if you missed it coming through your email. Okay, uh, how to balance my inflationary costs against significant losses in capital in savings? So I guess, Colin, I'll, I'll kind of paraphrase again, and hopefully I'm capturing the essence of the question here. Inflation's a thing right now, but I'm seeing my savings go down. What do I do? It depends. Uh, that there's, there's no easy answer to that. There's no one solution. I mean, basically react to the stimulus. So this here are some things that would be common and considered relevantly or re- relatively good re- reactions to what's going on. So now is not a great time to say, hey, I want to dramatically increase my lifestyle and start spending a lot more money. That's, that's not a great time for that because, again, all of your wealth is dropped. Everything from your real estate, your investment portfolios, everything is dropped. So it's not a great time to do that kind of thing. So slow your roll, if you will. Is there something you can put off for a few months? Can you moderate what your expectations are? Because honestly, again, there was no matter where your wealth is stored, it is not where it was at its peak. Everything has fallen. So it is rational to, to reconsider things and maybe reduce, reduce spending a bit, put off plans a bit, take those things into account. That would be a reasonable response to what's going on now. If you can slow down your lifestyle spending when things are bad and increase your lifestyle spending when things are good, you get more money to spend over your lifetime. If you can hit that pattern as things go. Listen, for clients that came in and saw me in January, having tried January conversations, it was like, do you, do you want another five grand? Like, do you want to pull some money out to do something right now? Because we're sitting at a time when things are at a peak. So that's a rational response to the situation. So we are receiving and you do have a different environment right now. Yes, there are people right now who have to work an extra year before they retire in order to reach their financial goals. That's absolutely true right now. So it has gotten to the point where reducing your expenses or increasing your income or working longer are things that people should do right now um, in some kind of measure in order to keep themselves level. So a bit of a loaded question here, Colin. Uh about nuclear weapons. So, yeah. So, if uh, nuclear weapons were detonated above ground, hydrogen, not atomic ones, understanding that they don't create disastrous nuclear fallout, should we expect the markets to be dispassionate about their use? <laughs> no. Markets do not specialize in dispassionate reactions to anything. So, yeah. If, if, if part of it depends on how much of a perceived surprise it is because these things are being talked about a lot in the market right now and if it gets to the point that it's kind of humdrum and i've seen some of the the commentary start to go in that direction it's like well if they do do it it's going to be relatively small and it's going to be this and so there's kind of a minimization going on but i would expect that there would be a pretty dramatic uh, response in the market in the short term largely around the uncertainty of the response this is this is the, the market's hate uncertainty but 
for you history buffs out there, it's not, wouldn't be the first time that a nuclear weapon was used. Uh, and markets recovered last time a nuclear weapon got used. So, ergo, ipso facto. Yeah, it's really, we're venturing into the realm of, like, it's just anybody's guess what, what could happen under such a situation. Um, and just to be clear, we're not we're not saying that people should be dispassionate about some of the, the crimes to humanity that are going on right now, because that's certainly something that people should, probably should be passionate about uh, and is totally wrong. But when it comes to making decisions about the money, we encourage people, us, to be dispassionate when making those decisions. And certainly that would probably be one of the harder times to be dispassionate if we saw something like that happen. Well, yeah, thanks, Josh, because we do end up coming off as glib sometimes when we kind of seemingly dismiss these kinds of things. Yeah, that would be absolutely a human tragedy of, of untold proportions. That would be just miserable. But we're in your life to give you financial advice, and there's nothing about that scenario that's investable. I don't think we can count on that happening. I don't think we should count on it not happening. And I don't think that we can accurately calculate a percentage of, of it happening or not or what the reaction may be. So it's a non-investable issue that is absolutely terrible and tragic to consider. So another question I think is on everyone's minds here, Colin, if the goal is to retire in 2023, would one be able to stay the course? It all depends. Again, it depends on how much slack you had built into your plan. Like when we talk to people about their situations, it's how much wiggle room did you give yourself? Like if you're, if you're rocking like a 6% burn rate and you always spend more than you expect, um, and your, your your goals are constantly changing. That's not a terrible thing. That just might be who you are. And but recognize that. Uh, university professor head Dr. John Schmer had a great quote that I've used more times than I thought. Given how bad a student I was, especially in this class, it's amazing I still carry this around. Call not thyself. It's important. Be honest with yourself. Are you the kind of person that can stick to a plan? Or are you the kind of person that always spends ten percent more? Than, than, than what you expect. Um, but whether or not you can follow through with your plan depends on how much wiggle room you gave yourself. Uh, so if you gave yourself a lot of wiggle room, yeah, you, you, you could probably continue ahead just fine. But that is the kind of thing that we are get professional advice on, having somebody sit down and go through and try to figure out the degree of certainty. Because again, we're going to talk to you about probabilities. So it's not going to be yes, you can retire and you can't. It's not like there's a a wand or something that taps you on the shoulder and goes, you are now retired. You'll be fine. It, it's not that. It's, yeah, you got a 60, 70% change. You're probably fine. But if you're retiring and you got 30 years ahead of you, that's like two more pandemics, right? Like the, Who knows, right? But it's making some reasonable expectations of what the future may hold and how, how bad could it go before it really affect my plans. Listen, if you're walking through this planet and you, you, you think that you get to have some kind of guaranteed straight line you get to walk that you're never, ever going to have to veer from, you're just setting yourself up for disappointment. Don't, don't, don't be that person. There's, I guess this is a good time to use this particular story that I've gleaned over the years, talking about when times are tough like this and the people who thrive at times like this. And there was a prisoner of war, a famous prisoner of war. It was the longest prisoner of war ever. He was in the Second World War. He was kept in a notoriously bad POW camp, and he survived longer than any other POW. So they were talking to him after he got out and said, how was it? Like, what did you do to, to survive? And what he said was the people who came in, all of them said, I'll definitely be home by Christmas. I'll be home by Easter. I'll be home by – they always had these goals that they would be home by 
And every time they got disappointed, they lost a little bit more of their confidence. So eventually there was so much disappointment that they just gave up and stopped. So those kinds of, of expectations that you set yourself up for to be disappointed in can have a cumulative effect. And it, 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 understand you're going to have to roll with the punches a little bit. I'm not smart enough to help you. Josh isn't smart enough to help you. We're going to get punched. And it's just a matter of how we roll with it. Yeah, just from a, a strictly numbers perspective on the financial planning front, yes, we might be looking at a little bit lower base for your investments. But as we said a couple of times, interest rates are higher. Your expected returns on bonds, your expected returns on, on stocks are higher today than they were at the start of the year. So we've taken a bit of a step back in the short term, but now we're, we're projecting with slightly higher rates of return going forward. So some of that kind of naturally stabilizes itself. Um, if markets never recovered, then yeah, it's going to be a bit more challenging, but markets have always recovered uh, historically anyway. Uh, I think there's one more question in here. What do you see in terms of time frame for the current downturn to recover? Yes. We may already be partway through it. We've had, what, three consecutive days? I mean, I think it's going to go straight up from here. Come on, have your recency bias kick in now. Like, look at the last three days. Like, let's, let's, let's ride recency bias for a little bit. The last week's been awesome. If we forecast this forward and extrapolate, it will be double, uh, double our portfolio over the next year. <laughs> well, here's, here's hoping. Now, listen, we don't want to give a glib answer, but we also don't want to give an answer that is meaningless. If Vladimir Putin ends up dead tomorrow. If we see a surprise drop in the inflation, a quick reversal from the federal bank policy, all of those things are completely unknowable. And all of those things could cause a really positive turn in the market. Um, and the opposite of any of those, it could could have this drag on further. Historically, I can do 19 times out of 20 in a normal distribution. Market recoveries occur like three months after the initial. And, and Josh is really good at that stuff. He's exceptional at that stuff. And, and we look at it. But it's for entertainment value because, again, there's, there's, there's significant things that can knock you off of those paths. So back to the parable of the prisoner of war, just try not to get your hopes up. It, it will get better. It does come to an end. You know, what's going to really do you damage is constantly setting the threshold. Like six months from now, it's going to be better. And then it isn't. Like, okay, three months from now, it has to be better. It is, if you keep doing that, then you are going to drive yourself and probably us nuts with you. Yeah, I, I have a lot of people right now saying, well, it's going to take 10 years to recover from this. And uh, really not. <laughs> we've, we've seen way worse things than this recover in way quicker periods of time than that. So um, probably, I don't want to say shorter than you think, but it seems like people are pretty pessimistic right now. So when everybody's pessimistic, it's more likely that things get better than get worse. Look, and again, the whole thing is, is that what's investable? Right, that, that's that's our role in your life. What's an, what's an investable idea? Like what's investable information? And trying to to gain when the recovery is going to happen. That's not investable because again, that's unknowable. Um, you know, Long term, yeah, all kinds of, of, of confidence in the markets. The, the global economy has overcome way worse than what we're going through right now, and it'll win this one too. This is really not comforting at all, is it, Josh? Well, someone just posted the COVID recovery was a lot faster than everybody thought, right? That was a period of total uncertainty where we had no clue what was going to happen. 
And six months later, markets were back to new highs. Like you just, you can't make this stuff up. It was the worst recession in a hundred years. And it took about six months for markets to recover. So, you know, try, try guessing this one where there's, there's not that smoking gun problem and we haven't seen a massive recession yet. And so it's so hard. Well, the older you get, the more you see. And again, Josh has been around enough to see a few of these. And the pandemic is certainly one of them. And, and probably many people in this room could think back to when the pandemic is like, oh, my God, my portfolio is never going to recover. I'll guarantee you, if you search your memory, it's there somewhere. You know, you've discarded it because it's incongruent with what actually happened. And we don't, we only have so much brain power to carry around so many things. So we don't carry around all the stuff we were wrong about. It makes us feel better. Um, yeah. And Josh commented, he, he heard a comment from a, uh, one of the fund managers that we followed over the years who's been particularly bombastic and interesting to listen to, who's grown much humbler with age and basically made the comment that the older he gets, the less sure he is. Because, again, it's that culmination of being sure about a whole bunch of things that just didn't turn out. And then you're left with what's real. Any last thoughts, Colin, before we let people go? Well, it's not like we're going to disappear if this has caused a conversation within your household that you want to have uh, addressed or available and there's a good chance we've probably already addressed it the bare naked money is a uh, is an interesting uh, we can peruse through and find different topics you know you don't have to sit and listen to it one after the other but uh, those different topics there and by seeing new questions getting out of trust we're going to try to get these right just a lot of thank yous thank yous for us uh, okay Fair enough. That's, I guess that's the ovation as we walk off the stage going. There you go. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you have specific questions about your financial circumstances, give us a shout. We're always happy to chat. Thanks, guys. This information has been prepared by White LeBlanc Wealth Planners, who is a portfolio manager for IA Private Wealth. Opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the portfolio manager only and do not necessarily reflect those of IA Private Wealth Inc. IA Private Wealth Inc. is a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and the Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada. IA Private Wealth is a trademark and business name under which IA Private Wealth Inc. operates. We've noticed something. It seems there are a lot of people who would rather try to figure out their lives with an online calculator than air your finances to a human. Stop doing that. You need to talk to someone who can help direct you, tell you where to start with what you've got to make the biggest impact on your future. You can't figure that out at doihaveenoughcash.com, but you can figure it out by chatting with us. Call us. It'll be okay. You'll see. Content of this presentation, including facts, views, opinions, recommendations, descriptions of, or references to products or securities, is not to be used or construed as investment advice, as an offer to sell, or the solicitation of an offer to buy, or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Although we endeavor to ensure its accuracy and completeness, we assume no responsibility for any reliance upon it. This should not be construed to be legal or tax advice, as every client's situation is different. This podcast has been prepared for information purposes only. The tax information provided in this podcast is general in nature, and each client should consult with their own tax advisor, accountant, and lawyer before pursuing any strategy described herein, as each client's individual circumstances are unique. We've endeavored to ensure the accuracy of the information provided at the time that it was written. However, should the information in this podcast be incorrect or incomplete, or should the law or its interpretation change after the date of this document, the advice provided may be incorrect or inappropriate. 
There should be no expectation that the information will be updated, supplemented, or revised, whether as a result of new information, changing circumstances, future events, or otherwise. We are not responsible for errors contained in this podcast or to anyone who relies on the information contained in this podcast. Please consult your own legal research.